Praise God. Jeez, see what happens when you bless God? Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to teach false theology. Okay, um, so for those of you who don't know, I've been able to be involved in a lot of worship nights, um, by God's grace, of course. Something that's always been interesting to me, especially, so there, there's a picture of one of the nights. So this actually happened at Evangel uh, Pentecostal Church. Um, there's roughly about 1,000 people here in Montreal. Um, from approximately 16 different churches that were officially represented. Who knows how many were unofficially represented this night? So uh, it was great. It was a really good time of worship. Now, this is a comment that I receive after the worship nights, and the comment comes from a very good place. Now, as you can imagine, when a lot of Christians get together, there's a lot of love, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot, there's a lot of prayer, intercession, worshiping together, and it's very nice. But a comment that I receive a lot is this. These worship nights are unifying the Montreal church community. Now, at the time, I go, God bless you, sister or brother, who's giving me this comment. Um, but this instills a sense of pride that is not of the spirit. And what I mean by that is, maybe you've given me this comment before, so I'm sorry, I'm not trying to sing you up. Um, but this is very interesting because it imposes that the knights are unifying the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, but with me, when I would hear this, I'd go, yeah, uh, yes. My inner man would be kind of like, I, I don't know. Is it? And again, it might seem as, you know, again, this, is, this isn't a wrong comment, or this isn't adulterous or heresy or whatever, but something stuck into me. And uh, we're going to go over that this morning. So... Christian, who preached last week, did a very good job on Ephesians at the end of Ephesians 3. He pretty much gave this slide, so Christian, I, I ripped you off. Sorry about that. Um, so his slide is essentially, when you look at Ephesians chapter 1 and 3, in the book, Ephesians chapter 1 and 3 is all about who we are in Christ. It's very, very important. Um, and then if you go to chapters 4 and 6, which we're starting today, Paul shifts, and he goes with essentially how we live in Christ by the Spirit. Something is very important. If you start with chapters 4 and 6, and you don't look at chapters 1 and 3, you're essentially just applying the law. So if you go at chapters 4 and 6, how to live in Christ, which a lot of us kind of go towards 4, it's just the law. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. This is how husbands should react, this is how wives should react, this is how you should be in the body of Christ, this is how you should love your neighbor, blah, blah, blah. And you go, yeah, 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 okay. And again, a lot of times I think our nature is to do those things because we always want to live according to Christ in our own understanding. But if you skip out on chapters 1 and 3, you realize by what power you live out verses 1 to 6. And that's very important. That's why Paul says the law just kills. The law just tells us that we're not righteous. It's very, you know, you just try living up to the law. You'll find out really quick, maybe in a few seconds, how unrighteousness you are without Christ. But if you understand in chapters 1 and 3 who Christ is in you and what Christ's resurrection and death and his spirit, what that means now to you as a new curation, when you go to chapters 4 and 6, you realize, okay, something else is going on here. Okay? So just want to keep that in mind as we go forward. Um, as someone, uh, his name is David Guzik, says, the Christian life is not just about do's and don'ts. It's about living in the light of what God has done in you. And that's chapters 1 and 3. And if you don't look at chapters 1 and 3 and you just go to 4 and 6, you'll find yourself being very frustrated and even doubting the goodness of God because you'll be trying to anticipate or understand God's goodness without God himself defining it in you. Okay? Thank you very much. Okay, so here, here's the overarching question. What is un why is unity of the Spirit important for the believer and the non-believer? 
So that's the question. I'm not going to answer right now, but that's what we're going to be going over for the rest of today. Now, for those of you who don't know me, um, I talk about my grandparents a lot. So these are my grand. This is Grammy and Grampy. Okay. Uh, this is my grade six graduation. Yes, I have not changed. And um, my grandfather and my grandmother have been studying the word, preaching the word of God for over 50 years. So they've planted four churches in Quebec in the 70s. So for those of you who know your church history, you know that in the 60s and the 70s, and especially for the evangelical church, it was scarce in Quebec, more scarce than it is now. So my grandparents planted four churches in Quebec, two little people from a small village in, um, outside of Fredericton, New Brunswick. And... Uh, my grandfather is my Paul. Like, if I'm Timothy, my grandfather's Paul. If he says something, I do it. Of course, I bring him to Christ, but he's proven himself true in the Spirit so many times that I just go, okay, this is, I follow you as you follow Christ. Now, my grandfather and my grand, just side note, hi, Grammy, Grampy, if you're watching, um, they just celebrated their 50th church plant anniversary, believe it or not. So, uh, shout out to them. Okay, so... I called my grandfather and I said, I'm preaching on Ephesians 4. He goes, that's fantastic. And my grandmother goes, wow, I remember when, that, I, remember when I first heard that passage in 1970. It changed my life. Great, thanks. And thanks for the pressure, Grammy. But um, my grandfather and I spent the next hour going through verse by verse, verses 1 to 16. And when you, follow, when you know Jesus so well, like I didn't even tell him when I was going to call. He just goes, oh, you want to talk about it now? Okay. And then he just, for an hour, just, yep, this is what I'm... He's like, jeez, well, man, how the... Just, that's what happens when the Spirit of God is so alive in you. You just can't help but be overjoyed with abundance, as we talked about this morning in BOB, which is very beautiful, by the way. You should come. Um, so he, by all, in my opinion, he is a theologian, but he does not. He's so humble. Okay, so you have to pick in your mind someone who's been studying the Word of God for over fifty years and preaching it weekly for over fifty years, knows the Bible inside and out, and this is what he tells me. Don't get caught up in something that, while is important, Paul isn't emphasizing in the flow of the passage. You theologians out there are going to be very uncomfortable with this, with this statement. That's okay. Because if you're like me, you like to take something and nitpick and go at it for like days. Like, oh my gosh, the body of Christ. What does that mean? And then you search through a whole, and that's good. Don't get me wrong. That, that is good. But these are letters. Paul is writing them with the flow to a certain group of people. You don't have to overcomplicate things, okay? So... Just keep that in mind as we go through this passage because it's jam-packed. Okay, let us begin. So, verses 1 to 6 of, uh, uh, chapter, four, uh, of chapter 4 is talking about you need the body of the Spirit. That's what we're going to start with. Verses 7 to 8 is about God's grace and Christ's gifts to the body. Verses 11 to 14, we're going to go into the gifts. And then verses 15 to 16 is all about building each other in love. All right, let's begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, God, for bringing us here this morning safe and sound. God, I pray that you give us ears to hear and that our hearts are quieted before you. Um, out of everything, God, I pray that we forget who we... Um, God, if we're to remember anything at the end of this, I pray that we just remember you and how much you love us and how much you were fighting for us and you're with us. In your name, we pray. Amen. All right, so let's dig in. All right. Verses 1 of chapter 4. I, Paul, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in, in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been saved. Note, prisoner of the Lord does not mean I am in jail. That's what I first thought when I read it. Um, what it really means is like, it's, it's actually very close to Ephesians chapters 1 and 3. I am in Christ. I belong to Christ. 
I am his. That's why I can walk in the manner for which you have been called, because you were also in Christ. So Paul's not trying to say, hey, smarten up, walk in this way. He's saying, no, 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 no. You are alive in Christ. Christ is in you. His spirit is alive in you. So walk in this way. It's much more gentle. It's not, hey, smarten up. It's not that it's, hey, this is who you are, so you can walk in this way. Christ is in you. Christ is with you. It's okay. We're good. I know you got questions. We're good. Walk in the way that you have been called. You are a new creation. No pressure. You don't got to make it on your own. If you understand more of Christ in you, then you can walk more in the way that you have been called and elected, as we've read about in Ephesians 1 and 3. It's beautiful. So because of what God has done in us, we can now walk in this way. I'm going to go a little bit quick just because uh, for time. And then for those of you who are now, okay, well, what is this way? With all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love. Now, humility, patience, and gentleness. Kind of sounds like fruit of the Spirit. And you're right. They are similar fruit of the Spirit. But one thing to keep in mind, and that drove my attention, is why is Paul signaling out these traits above the others? Why did Paul pick these ones? Humility, which is also referred to as loneliness. Gentleness, pretty straightforward. Patience, which is also referred to as long-suffering. Another way for looking at this patience, okay, is having the ability to take revenge and not taking it. That's kind of the context that Paul is saying. So it's not just being nice and someone's bothering you. And you're no, it's like, I actually have a reason now to make my point clear, but I'm not going to do it. And bearing with one another in love. That seals the deal. Now, similar to the fruit of the Spirit, this is the character of our walk. Okay? Up until Ephesians 1 to 3, we've been really focused on who we are in Christ. Now Paul is introducing the idea of community now. Okay? Now, Nathaniel, what do you mean you've been introducing the idea of community? I don't know about you, but Paul doesn't say be gentle with yourself. He's not saying be patient with yourself or being humble with yourself. He says bearing with one another in love. So now we predispose that to the communal aspect. So Nathaniel, what does this mean? Well, the fruit of the Spirit and these traits that get developed in us as Christ becomes more and more sovereign, as we surrender more and more to Christ, two things start to happen now. You grow in these fruits of the Spirit for your own communion with God. And number two, these traits, these character traits are now also for your church community. By church community, I don't mean the institution of the church. I mean fellow believers. So our identity in Christ now is now intertwined with both our relationship with God one-on-one and with how we interact with one another. They are not separate. The Spirit doesn't do these gifts in us so that we can just be Oh, God, I am patient and kind. No, no, no. It's so that they are used now with who we interact with, both the believer and unbeliever that Paul's going to get to later on. Now, what do these gifts also tell us? Well, why would we need these gifts? Well, or sorry, not gifts, these traits. Doesn't this kind of mean that there's going to be friction amongst Christians? Yes. Uh, if you look at the past 2,000 years, uh, yes. There is going to be friction amongst Christians, which is why we need <laughs> these character traits, these fruits of the Spirit. Is that a bad thing that there's friction? Not necessarily. It's a bad thing with what it leads to, but it's okay to have disagreements. How can we come to truth if we don't disagree? But if you disagree and you're not living in this out, well, then you have no love. 
You see what I'm saying? No, you're going to see what I'm saying when we go into it. Because all of these things now, when they are applied, they will lead you to love one another, which is why Paul says, bearing with one another in love. Friction is okay. These things, these character traits that the Spirit develops in us, both for ourselves and with our communion with Christ, and ourselves with one another, now end up bringing a sense of unity with one another, regardless of the friction. Look at that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so here we go. And bearing with one another in love, something else to keep in mind, there's this common theme um, that when we have unity of the Spirit, there is also love. They're not separate. They, Paul always makes mention of these two things together, as we see in this verse right now. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of Christ. So we see that when there is unity, there is love. When there is love of God I'm talking about, there is also unity of the Spirit. And when those things come together, we now understand more of the mystery of God. What does that mean? You're saying that I become more spiritually mature when I learn how to become unified with the body, with Christ, and then all of a sudden I'm a byproduct of this love, and now I'm growing in the maturity in Christ? Yes. But Nathaniel, how do I do this? You don't. That's the Spirit doing it within you. So when we become more aware of what God's doing in us, these things start to fall into place. That's why Paul doesn't just say this message. He almost gives his message to many of his letters, right? The body of Christ and wherever he's preaching. Okay, verse 3. Eager, which also means making every effort to, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's where practical comes in. So, this morning, when we had B.O.B., and interestingly enough, Rudy, who opened up B.O.B., started giving us this thing that we have an obligation. We have a duty in our walk. Paul is also making referring to this. But here's what ends up happening. We think we need to create unity in the church. And Paul says very clearly, it's already there. That's why you maintain it, you don't create it. But Nathaniel, but there's, but there's conflict, yes. But there's, yes. But there's, yes. But, yeah. Okay, what are you referring to? When you and I accept the Spirit of God in our hearts, when the Spirit of, or from, when the Spirit of God reveals himself to you, and we succumb to the grace, right? We love because he first loved us. When we become, when our eyes are opened to this mystery, to this beauty, that is amongst us. Paul says, you know, we've been groaning. All of creation groans, right? And then when the, when the Father appears to us, we realize, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I was created for. If that happens to me, and that happens to you, we are now unified. We have the same Father. But that happening to me and that happened to you was not created by you or me. That was the Spirit doing His work in both you and me. So now there is unity that is tied to the Spirit of God. And we are to maintain that. You ever meet with a brother or a sister for coffee? And you just speak about what God's doing in your lives? And you leave the, the conversation going, oh my gosh, God, you're so good. That's maintaining. Did you spark that up in you? To be, wow, God, you're so good. No. You were encouraged from your brother or your sister. And you leave, even if you don't go to the same church. Okay, that's why we're not talking about an institutional body. We're talking about the people of God. Even if you don't go to the same church, you leave going, wow, I don't even, 
man, the spirit of God is alive in you, alive in me. I'm encouraged, you're encouraged. God's so good. I can't deny that because it wasn't made by you. And then that brings peace. But, we, but the, what's, what's the most important point? We don't curate this unity, right? That's why when someone came to me and said, these knights are bringing unity, I don't, this is it. Because it's the spirit revealing his unity. Very different. Then we go to verse 4. And for those of you who are still wondering, do I create this unity? Well, Paul makes it very clear again. There is one body and one spirit. Now, a way to read this verse is actually like this. You go to verse 3 and you go, okay, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the hope that belonged to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. The Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Can I get an amen? amen? Jeez, man. Just Paul, sometimes you don't even have to preach. Just read and go, yep, and I don't know what else I'm supposed to say. Um, but it goes back to that same point. There is already one body and one spirit that has been created by the Father. We don't create it. The Lord reveals it to us, in us, through us. One spirit that reconciles and unifies us to Christ and those who are Christ are filled with one another. You know what I was thinking? Um, you know when Mary and Elizabeth, when they were both pregnant, and Mary came to Elizabeth, and both their stomachs kind of rattled? And there was unity in that moment. They didn't literally do anything, but the, 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 the scriptures say that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit of God. They just were with each other. Unit being, and the Spirit himself unified, brought himself out. They saw the life in one another that was a spirit. And they realized, oh my gosh, the spirit is at work here. It's that same sense of, of, of Christ, just that anticipation, that love, that joy that comes out. Now, for those of you who are taking notes, oh good, it did that. Okay, this is what ends up happening. So put your notes down, put your pens down, listen real quick. Christian 1 is filled with the spirit of God. Christian 2 is filled with the spirit of God. As we find ourselves drawing closer to God, we find ourselves drawing closer to one another. But we don't go to one another to get close to God. We go to God, and in our going to God, we find ourselves drawing closer to one another from his spirit that unifies both of us. That's what Paul is talking about here. See, it's very, I don't know how to, it's very natural. It's not so, no, no, it's very the Holy Spirit naturally drawing himself to him, and then we naturally, our spirit in me, in your spirit, in you, the spirit of God in you, the spirit of God in me, will naturally draw ourselves to one another. But again, it's not the institutional church. It's the believers of God. And I know that's, it's tough because we're usually thinking about people in our church community, which is important. But think about those who are sp- filled with the spirit of God. Okay, good, good. So that was uh, point one. Sorry about that. Okay, so then we're going to go to uh, verses 7 to 10 now. And verses 7 to 10 talks about God's grace and Christ's gifts to the body. Okay, this is probably the most controversial part of this message if you've studied this verse because uh, I could literally spend five hours on the controversy of this, uh, not this verse, but the ones that are coming. But let's just get one thing clear, verse 7. So Paul now switches. We've talked about God's grace. We've talked about his spirit in me. We've talked about you and me getting closer to God and we get closer to each other and that this has been created by God for God and that he started this and that he will complete it and that he will work. Good, 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 good. Now Paul switches. He goes, okay, why is this happening? We all, God's grace. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's the mystery of Christ. 
the Lord working in us, the God doing that. Paul, in verse 7, by grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What's the basis of God's distribution of the spiritual giftings? His grace. But if I know, I don't, but I want to feel like his grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. So does that mean that I'm not in control of who gets what's gift? Yep. Does that mean that God in his discernment decides how his body is going to receive the gifts? Yep. Does that, yep. <laughs> exactly. But, yep, yeah, well, I mean, this idea of grace and not being worthy and Christ dying for us and Christ being setting us free in Christ is all God's grace. And that's why it always goes back to him. That's why this unity is there by his grace. We haven't created it. Okay, then we get to the controversial part. Woo, verse 8. Now remember what Grampy says. Don't get caught up. Okay. Now why is verse 8 controversial? Well, it shouldn't be, but it is. Let's get into it. Verse 8. Therefore, it says, and now Paul starts to quote from Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, Jesus gives these gifts. He, they have been described prophetically in the Old Testament. So now we get to the point where Jesus literally descends or ascends or descends. What does that mean? His death and resurrection. First time, right? The second time is when he goes up. Remember, he's with, he's, he's with the crowd of witnesses. After his death and resurrection, they all gather. Then he goes up to heaven again, right? That's what Paul is referring to here. Or, and this is where it gets controversial, because people are trying to figure out, well, he's quoting from Psalm 68, but he's not quoting it properly. Psalm 68 reads, when you ascended on high, Psalm 68, verse 18, when you ascended on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. So this psalm is a psalm about a military leader returning to Jerusalem, and bring the captivity captive. And so it's a prayer that God would defeat his enemies. So Paul actually doesn't quote it like this on purpose. So people have thought for years, did he misinterpret? Well, no. Is he not quoting it properly on purpose? I guess. But this is where we kind of got to stop ourselves and be like, okay, okay, Lord, what do we know? We know that you have given, you have received the gifts, and you have given them to us. Okay. So, and again, what we're speaking about, we're speaking about the unity of the body of Christ right here. Okay, so it's important to not get drawn into this hole. So in order to help us do that, let's go to John 16.7. So this is when Jesus is about to descend, okay? He goes, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Of course, Jesus, the helper is the Holy Spirit. We know that right now. But the, what I'm implying here and what other theologians have implied here is that that part to, and as, as, as we're going to get to, Christ's ascension, Christ's ascension allows us to now partake in these gifts that we have experienced. Please don't flood me with questions at the end because I don't know. Okay, so 
But that, that, that's where we're at. But in, make, but in that perspective, Christ, again, the, the whole point, Christ is giving these gifts by his grace. And he decides who gets what gifts. And we have these gifts because the Holy Spirit is within us. All because of the mercy and the grace and the love and the sovereignty of Christ. Then we get to verse 9. And saying he ascended, so Paul kind of starts to give a little bit more of context. What does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descends is the one who also ascended for alone all the heavens that he might fill all things. Theologians have interpreted he will fill all things to mean the extension of the church growing in Christ's fullness. So he will fill all things is essentially Paul saying that this is done so that the church of God can grow, not the institution, but that the people of God now can grow in these gifts. And that's and why is that important? Well, because that's what the gifts are for, which is what Paul's going to get to now. So now, we get to verses 11 and 13, and we're going to go specifically now into the gifts. Okay, something to know. So in verse 11, these are, these are the four that Paul gives. Some of you might say, are there five? Not really. It's shepherd, teacher, not shepherd and teacher. It's one. Which um, is a side note. So, the reason why there's a star between the apostles and the prophets is this. If you go to Ephesians 2, Paul essentially says, Ephesians 2.20, he essentially says this thing, uh, it's this, this verse saying, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, you and I are here today because the foundation has been laid. Paul has preached the gospel. The disciples have done their work. The gospel was spread. The foundation of the good news was laid. Not the completion, the foundation of the good news was laid. So, do we have people like the Apostle Paul today? No. Do we have people who have the ministry of an apostle? Yes. Do we have people like a prophet today? Do we have people today like a prophet as were back then who laid the foundation? No. Do we have people who hold the office of prophet or the ministry of a prophet Yes. What do I mean by that? Well, an apostle is called a special ambassador for God's work. Now, you and I can go back in history not too long and think of people who had a special calling on their life. That was different than everyone else's. Who's a good example of this? Hudson Taylor. It was different. We all know like that was different. Right? People like that who had a special, they were starting a new work, starting something new, it was different. Now, if you come to me and you say, my name is Apostle John Smith, I mean, like, okay, buddy, I guess uh, maybe you should go back a few verses and talk about humility. But, but when we look at it, we start to realize, okay, there are special ambassadors by God's grace. Because remember, these are gifts by God. So God decides on his own who has these gifts. Okay, so by God's grace, Hudson Taylor was different. Okay, I'm comfortable with that. What about the prophet? The prophet are men and women who have a special message for church today. And I can think of people like that, who I know of, who, have a, who give a certain perspective differently, whether it's for like conviction or even, like, or even to like purify the body of Christ. Why there are certain messages that are heard and you're like, yeah, we needed to hear that. We needed to hear that. That's a gifting, Right? Prophet isn't a fortune teller. 
right, they are always subject to the discernment of Christ, to the church leadership, and they're being able to, being able to like, discern. So for those of you who know, I don't want to take up too much time, but I was raised in a, like, Pentecostal church. What does that mean? Well, it means what you think it means. Um, and um, because my father was a pastor, I was very lucky to be able to, like, partake and people, the spiritual giftings are very much like influence and, and like impactful and emphasized in uh, the, this specific denomination. I had a man come up to me, and he just poured in like just boom, boom, boom. And I, I remember being like, how do you know these things, bro? Like, what's going on, bro? Like, how do you know this stuff? And because my dad's a pastor, we go out for lunch after church. <laughs> And who goes out to lunch with us? Well, the, the, the person who came in, right, to, to, to do the prophet thing. And um, when I got to know the man better, I got to understand more about what was going on. And you see the heart, and it's different, right? It's not a fortune teller. I'm not saying it's right. It's always subject to, like, discernment, of course. But you see it's different. And what's the point of that, Nathaniel? Well, these gifts are made to mend us back to Christ, as we're going to go into later. So then we got the evangelist and we have the shepherd teacher. The evangelist is the one who um, is gifted to preach the good news of Christ. And the shepherd teacher is very much the like, pastoral role that we'll see today. And these gifts are pretty obvious, I think, in some ways. In some ways not. But I think we can all agree, and I hope I'm not singling you out here, Nick, uh, Nick Zolo. It's pretty clear Nick has the gift of shepherd teacher. I mean, I don't think that's controversial. I mean, he's... That's what he does. And we see that that's God working on his life, right? So from that perspective, these are how the gifts are given. Now, uh, we're going to skip this just because of time. We'll go right into the gifts. Um, So what are the gifts for? Well, they're to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, equip. What equip means here is to put right. It also means to mend a broken bone. It's very interesting. So that the body of Christ can be built up. It's not meant, so let's use the gift of prophecy because it's easy to like, pick on. It's not meant to tell a fortune. Okay? It's meant for you to mend your bone. To, what, is, what soul pains do you have? What spiritually are you down with? What's going on? Let me tell about God's love for you. Let me tell you about how much God loves you. Right? It's, it puts us back in a place of... All right, God, yeah, 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 okay. Lord, you're sovereign in my life. Your spirit is alive in me. Okay, we get built up, right? That's confidence rises again. These gifts essentially allow us to identify, and when these gifts and these offices, as sometimes they're called, when they work well together, so now we've talked about individual, but let's go back to the body. When they work together, the saints are properly equipped, and they increase in maturity, right? Imagine just you're going through something tough spiritually. You get put back together. You increase, your faith grows. Your boldness grows. Your love for one another grows. That's exactly what the gifts are for. And uh, it's pretty amazing because when you see them happening properly, the body of Christ becomes much more healthy, and they're used to edify one another. Uh, verse 13 until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. 
Amen. <laughs> so I was going to go into it, but I was like, hey, amen. Okay, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, when you see the term tossed to and fro by the waves, it's almost similar to what James says in 1.6. And what James says in 1.6 is for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You have doubt in your heart, right? Uh, I don't know, God, yeah, God's real, yep, yeah, okay, I don't know, we'll see what happens, I don't know, right, that, that sense of, of doubt, where, where we become almost to the point where our own growth is now taken in control of by our own means, okay, what do I mean by that? Well, spiritual maturity is much different than physiological maturity, so when you and I, when we were kids, we wanted to get more up, and, and as we grew in age, as we grew in age, what ended up happening? Well, we became much more in, independent of our parents. It is the exact opposite in Christianity. In Christianity, the opposite happens. When we grow more, in, when our identity becomes much more shifted in God, becomes much more stable in God, we depend on him even more. There's a difference, right? So why would we become tossed? Well, usually well, that's what happens when you start to take charge of your own identity. And that's what ends up happening. You lose that sense of stability on Christ. And that is what Paul is referring to here, that maturity in Christ is also stability in him. Okay, now let's go to verses 14 and 16. The building up of one another in love. I know we're pressed for time, so I'm going to do this quickly. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped. When each part is working together, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we see here that this isn't only about treating one another, building each other in love. Paul's also talking about the people who try to basically like deceit us too. He's referring to both. Being able to speak the truth and love to not only one another, but to those who try to plot and scheme and misdirect and all those things. So maturity ascribed is growing up in Christ Jesus. The direction of maturity is to Jesus, and we never grow independent of Jesus. Verse 16, we look about the unity of the body. It's working together in this beautiful coordination done by the Spirit of God. Every part is created and designed by Christ, and it does its share for the kingdom. When all this happens, the body grows in love because it grows in Christ. Very quickly, going back to this, if you look at the worship nights differently now, you, you can miss out of the whole point. When you think of these nights of, when you think of the nights as unifying the body, you miss out of the, of the greater intimacy of God with God unifying us to himself. Why is the night happening? Because we organized it? No, because God placed that desire in us to come and draw close to him. And there is a unity now that we all share in Christ. And it's not limited to these nights, of course. It happens when you just meet someone for lunch, understanding more about what goes in, in your spirit, what's happening in my spirit. And now the, unit, the spirit himself, like Mary, and Martha, like Mary and Elizabeth, when they met, something happened. The Spirit himself revealed himself in both of them, and now they were unified. And because they were unified, they ended up loving each other more on a deeper level because of what the Spirit had done in them. Now, I know time is short, and I know I mentioned it very quickly, but 
This is a, for me, this is the most important part. We know why unity of the Spirit is important for the believer. But why is it important for the non-believer? We go in John 13.35, and Christian gave this verse when he was answering questions last week. And the verse was this. By, all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When the believer comes to church, when the believer encounters a Christian, do they not encounter God's love for them? When the body is growing and when love is present, don't they not see the love that Christ has for them? In Romans 8.22, just I'll sum it up. All of creation has this longing to be reconciled to God. Whether they call it Jesus Christ or call it something else, they have a longing, some inner deep groan for peace and comfort. They want to find home. Where is my home that I was made for? I never saw this before, but when I read this verse again, Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciple. Not that you are a disciple of Christ, but that that you are mine. But how will they know? Oh, that's what I've been wanting. You. When they come to the body and they, they they see Christ, the thing that I've been longing for, it's there. That's it. We would be the hands and feet of Christ. It's beautiful. That is, what's his name? Jesus? Yeah. That's it. And now there's this unity and love, and the Spirit himself is now working in that person. And now we're unified through the Spirit alone. I was looking, um, I like a, I like going back in history, and I'll end with this. St. Augustine um, shared a moment like this in, uh, in his confessions. And the moment is essentially, it's almost similar in, in Songs of Songs, where the bride in chapter 3 says, where is the one who I love? Where is he? And when she finds the one who she loves, she holds tight and doesn't let go. Much like you and me when we found Christ. I'll end with this. Augustine wrote almost 1,500 years ago, Too late have I loved you, O beauty so ancient, O beauty so new. Too late have I loved you. You were within me, but I was outside myself. And there I sought you. In my weakness I ran after the beauty of the things you have made. You were with me, and I was not with you. The things you have made kept me from you. The things which you would have no being unless they existed in you. You have called, have cried, and have pierced my deafness. You have radiated forth, you have shined out brightly, and you have dispelled my blindness. You have sent forth your fragrance, and I have breathed it in, and I long for you. I have tasted you, and I hunger and thirst for you. You have touched me, and I ardently desire your peace. When the body acts in unity due to what the Spirit does, when we surrender to that, when we grow 
in greater dependency on Christ when these gifts become revealed in us. When we can't help but say, God did that in you, God's doing this in me, God is unifying both of us. When the non-believer comes and interacts with us, they go, there is my home. There is my father. I now see Christ in me. And we say, welcome home. Let's end in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, I ask that you continually show us more and more how to depend on you. And that is a scary prayer, but it is one that allows us to draw closer to you and understand more of this new identity and being alive in Christ. As we go through the remaining verses in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, God, I pray that you reveal to us more and more who you are 